we live in this era where everyone is so harsh and judgmental. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people just need to not be lectured at, but to be heard and understood and, you know, respected for where they're coming from. And I think that kind of open-hearted, gracious conversation will move the ball forward so much faster than harsh condemnation. People are creating their own ecosystems where they're getting affirmation instead of information. They're getting confirmation bias. And we have to fight against that somehow. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Andrew Darvin, humor engineer. And I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. Andrew and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we both had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about, how they got their start how they make it work, and what keeps them going. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee, or in my case, hot chocolate. On today's show, we're featuring our conversation with Katie Couric, renowned and award-winning journalist, producer, and best-selling author from the 2021 P&G Alumni Global Conference. Katie sat down with Mark Pritchard, P&G's chief brand officer, to share their vision of a fairer and more equitable world through media and advertising. Here's a quick bio. Katie Couric is the founder of Katie Couric Media, a multimedia news and production company. Katie also publishes the daily newsletter, Wake Up Call. From 2013 to 2017, Katie was Yahoo's global news anchor, and most notably, Couric has been a host of all three major U.S. TV networks on NBC News from 1989 to 2006, CBS News from 2006 to 2011, and ABC News from 2011 to 2014. And in her early career, she was an assignment editor for CNN. In addition to her TV news anchor roles, Katie has also hosted The Today Show and 60 Minutes. And in 2004, Katie was also inducted into the Television Hall of Fame. In this conversation with Mark Pritchard, Katie speaks of the importance of accurate portrayals, images, and representation, influenced by the work of Mazran Banaji, who we've also featured on this podcast, on how our brains are hardwired to make associations and connections. Katie spoke of growing up with women only portrayed as stay-at-home moms and having to insist that she would not just cover cooking or fashion shows during her career. You'll enjoy this candid conversation between two of the industry's biggest leaders in medias on the importance of change and understanding. We hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Katie Couric from the PNG Alumni Global Conference. Now, this session's topic is about building a more diverse, equal, and inclusive world, which is something that we are deeply committed to achieving at P&G. Now, we're going to explore this through the lens of media and advertising, where obviously P&G can have a meaningful impact as the world's largest advertiser. And the work we've done over many years has led to important partnerships in the media world with like-minded people who share our values and commitment and who are taking meaningful actions to make a difference. One such partnership is with the incomparable Katie Couric, who joins us here today. A groundbreaking pioneer, Katie Couric has changed the face of journalism at every single turn. The first woman Pentagon correspondent for NBC News, to an unprecedented 15-year run as co-anchor on the Today Show, to the first woman solo anchor on CBS Evening News, to the first global news anchor on a digital news channel at Yahoo. Her brilliance is now channeled into reimagining media through her own production company, Katie Couric Media, with P&G as a founding sponsor. A couple years ago, she launched Wake Up Call, 
a daily newsletter with straightforward, trusted news covering multiple sides of every issue to enable the reader to draw their own conclusions. And Katie's also collaborated with many P&G brands on multiple media projects and has many more on the way with many partners. Please welcome Katie Couric. Hi, Katie. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. It's so nice to be here and to see you again. Our ambition at P&G, which is the same as yours, is to achieve a more diverse, equal, and inclusive world that drives growth and value for everyone in many different ways. And this, the events of the past few years have really elevated expectations that people have about the role of brands and companies in doing that. We're very committed at P&G, and we use our reach and our voice as the world's largest advertiser to help eliminate bias and promote equality and inclusion. This, the portrayals of people in advertising affect perceptions of how people see each other, how they see themselves. They embed memories into your brains that conform bias. So that's why we are absolutely committed to accurately portray every person in our advertising across gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, ability, religion, body type, and age. And then every once in a while, we'll spark an important conversation like, like a girl or share the load for gender equality, home for the holidays, the talk, the look, estamos unidos, widen the screen, really focusing on these key issues that allow people to be able to think about bias and think about equality and inclusion in a different way. And we do this because we have demonstrated that delivering superior quality communications in a more diverse, equal, and inclusive way is actually better for business. It builds engagement, familiarity, and trust, and it drives growth for our brands and is good for society. But advertising is just one part. Media makes a big difference. Where we advertise, whether it be on content or TV or podcasting or radio or the news, it matters. So I want to get your views on this and just have a little dialogue here because you and I have been in both the media industry and the advertising industry for similar amounts of time. And so <laughs> I'm interested in how you've seen media affect diversity, equality, and inclusion over that period of time. Well, Mark, I'm so of the same mind as you. I've been keenly aware of how influential and impactful images are toward shaping how we see ourselves and how we see the possibilities of what we can be and how we move in the world. And I, from an early age, in fact, in my book and in my on my book tour, I talk a lot about images that 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 we receive on a daily, if not hourly basis, and how how they influence us. And just growing up, this the television shows I watched as a kid that really featured only stay-at-home moms had had me think really that I had to be in a certain box. And it wasn't until I started watching shows like Julia featuring Diane Carroll as a single mom who was also a nurse, or the Mary Tyler Moore show that showed Mary Richards as a career woman, did my world view expand. And what I saw for myself really changed. And I see this all the time in commercials. I see them see this in shows. I see it in news programming. And when I got my job at the Today Show, I knew how influential these messages were. So 
I was offered the job to be the co-anchor with Brian Gumbel, and I insisted on having a 50-50 division of labor mm. because I knew that 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 people were were seeing me and I wanted them to know that I could handle the tough interviews and the serious news stories as well as Bryant could and that I wasn't relegated to doing cooking segments and and fashion shows because it's almost subliminal in terms of the messages and the connections our brains make with with certain things as Mazarin Banaji at Harvard education school, I interviewed her. And from a very early age, when we're really tiny, our our brains are hardwired to make these connections and associations. And we have to make sure that we're not connecting just white men in powerful positions, but all kinds of people in positions of power. And the media has a responsibility, the news media, media in general, to make sure that we're we're allowing people to make those connections so they don't see themselves in limited positions. Yeah, it's so important because you 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 said it, Dr. Mazarin Banaji, who really studies cognitive science and bias, understands that images get embedded into your brain and your brain then categorizes those images. And that memory then it creates memories. And so those memories, if those memories are constantly bombarded with a certain depiction of how either women or, or men or black, Hispanic, Asian Pacific, native, LGBTQ, people with disabilities, if those images then are portrayed, it's, it goes on and on and accumulates. And then therefore, the first thing your brain does when it sees somebody is snaps to that right. potential stereotypical view. And that's one of the reasons why we focus, and you, you and I are on the ANACHER part of a program, which is accurate portrayal. First and foremost, the accurate portrayal of every person. What I find fascinating as well is that it actually people see these ads and they see accurate portrayal and they feel better about the brand because they see that you understand them. It's more familiarity, more trust. I'm interested in how you see the media world and the advertising world doing today. Certainly between the Today Show, CBS Evening News, Yahoo, and then today, do you see, what's, the, what's your temperature check now in terms of how the media world is doing and the advertising world is doing in this area? Well, well first the advertising world. I am so um, impressed with representation in ads today. Mm-hmm. I, I've always loved watching commercials. I used to want to get into advertising and on the creative side. And I am really pleased to see things like the Tide commercial that features a stay-at-home dad, for example, mm-hmm. because we saw how many women had to drop out of the workforce during the pandemic and this idea of caregiving being the provenance of women has got to change because that's one of the one of the things that we really have to work on to have more family friendly policies mm. understanding that women need support in taking care of their families and taking care of aging parents and taking care of the domestic duties melinda gates writes that women do an average of seven more years of taking care of of duties inside the home 
than men do. So that's critically important. That's why I love that Tide commercial, mm -hmm. because it starts to help us unlearn this idea that that is the domain of the woman in the home yeah. and not her her partner. So, and then I see a lot more LGBTQ representation mm -hmm. in commercials right now. So the advertising industry is doing a really good job. I don't know about you, Mark, but I've seen a lot more biracial couples featured in commercials. I've seen more black Americans, more people of color in general. So the advertising industry is really doing a good job. In terms of the news industry, there is, we're seeing a lot more representation across the spectrum in the news industry than there was certainly when I got into the business back in 1979. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this for a very long time and I've seen a dramatic shift. What we need to see more of though, Mark, is more diversity in, in positions of power, in decision-making mm -hmm. positions, because that is starting to change. The patriarchy of the news industry is still pretty much intact and a lot of these people are retiring and I'm seeing them replaced by a much more diverse group of decision makers, but things need to change. I, I got some statistics, which I thought would be helpful that according to the Women's Media Center, despite being two thirds of journalism students, leadership in the US press is composed of only 28% women. Women drop off at every level in the pipeline to leadership because they're harassed, paid less, faced inequality at home, as I was just discussing, or are denied opportunities for advancement or prestigious assignments. And the numbers are even more discouraging for women of color who represent less than 8% of US print newsroom staff, 12% of local TV news staff, and roughly 6% of local radio, and only 2.62% of all journalists are black women, mm. according to the Women's Media Center. And I just wanna add something to these statistics, Mark. It's so critically important. This is probably a, a captain obvious of me to say this, but just to drive the point home, we are the vessel from which the world hears the news and understands what's going on. And if we don't have representation in those positions, the worldview that was is 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 basically projected to the audience is shaped by people who may not understand the the circumstances of a whole swath of Americans. When I was the managing editor of the CBS Evening News, it was critically important to me that we talk about stories that perhaps my male counterparts didn't consider yeah. that important. For example, sexual assault in the military or dating violence, mm -hmm. and even how women candidates were being described mm -hmm. in, in, in ways that were inherently sexist, mm -hmm. but that didn't necessarily register with the male news writers. So I would have to call them out and say, would you describe a male candidate that way? Mm -hmm. So it's so important that we have diversity at the table when we're, when we're deciding what stories get attention and how those stories are framed. It is, it is so absolutely critical. And that's one of the reasons why at our company, what I see more and more in business is ensuring that we have that representation. And one of the things that we are focusing on is, to your point, is to have 
represent, equal representation at every level across the entire creative and media supply chain. So it starts in our company, it goes to our advertising agencies and media agencies, it goes to people behind the camera and the media companies on which we buy media and are now focused more and more on where we buy that media. And we ask this question, we hold people accountable to it. And it's 50-50 men and women, and then it's ethnic and racial representation in, in each country. So for example, in the US, it's gonna be roughly 40% people of color, black, Hispanic, Asian Pacific, native and indigenous. You said something so important, when you do that, it just gives a different lens. It's a different view. You see things you don't see. And then you have conversations about things. And then, and it's so important, because the, the, if you think about it, the jobs we have in media and advertising, they have a profound impact on how people see the world. So we have to be focusing on these areas. So one thing I want to come back to, another point you made, though, which is around women in the workforce, and, and, and actually many people in the workforce, and, and the effect of the pandemic and what has happened with the pandemic. I want to come back to that because you were talking about sharing chores and other kinds of things. We've got a couple of other activities we're doing. Ariel Share the Load, which we did in India. 90% of men in India think that laundry is women's work. 75% of women think that. Therefore, 75% of children think that. So we came up with this idea of Share the Load. Close the Chore Gap is another one that our brands do. We work with Eve Rodsky, as one you've written about in Wake Up Call around Fair Play. So, but let's talk about what were the lessons we learned in the pandemic and what does that mean for equality and inclusion and what we need to do going forward? Well, I'm really interested in asking you questions about <laughs> this, Mark, because as 3 million women left the workforce as a result of just not being able to handle both taking care of their kids and the obligations of their careers. And so many, of course, women in, in low paying jobs had no choice. They couldn't work from yep. the home. They were working at grocery stores and nursing homes and they were home healthcare providers. So we have to dramatically rethink this whole idea of work-life balance and what that looks like and accommodate 50 what 51 percent of the population who add immeasurably to our our economic well-being so that there's a lot of conversations going on at the legislative level about we're the only industrialized nation that doesn't pay for or mandate parental leave. Mm -hmm. And so we're in this massive transition of how do we, how do we support working families, yeah. not just working mothers, but working families, because as paternity leave is still looked at in, in, in a very negative way. And we have to unlearn some of these biases yep. and figure out how to accom accommodate families, as I said, but also figure out so now as, as a business owner, how we can ensure that people are, are doing the work when they're at home. And I know that sounds probably very retro of me mm. to say, <laughs> but, but I do think we have to figure out how can we measure results? How can we really support people who want flexibility, which they really need to have, but also feel comfortable and confident mm -hmm. that that they are 
are being productive. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how you're thinking about these issues, Mark, as we figure out how much time do we need in the office? Can people work effectively from home? So much, I was telling you the story about reading about a guy who worked at the Office of Management and Budget. It might have been, I can't remember who it was, so I don't want to misspeak, but he would keep his jacket on the back of his chair and keep his lamp on, his desk lamp on, all night. So people thought he was there even though he was home. So this bias about FaceTime, the old fashioned FaceTime, where you had to be actually in the office interfacing with your colleagues, we need to think, rethink that as well. So I'm curious how you're looking at these issues, Mark. Well, you, yeah, you've hit on a, on a number of them. One, one is in terms of work, you know, what, what we're focusing on is what's the job to be done? And, and, and we, we have, have given people flexibility on the basis of what's the work that needs to get done, what's the best way to get that work done with your colleagues and with your team. And we've given our business units and organization flexibility. So what they're doing is they're adjusting naturally to the ability to do both work in the home and work in the office when it makes sense and how it makes sense. And look, we proved during the pandemic that we could work remotely. That has given us some new levels of productivity. And so with that, we don't want to lose that part of it, but we also value the connection of getting people together. And there are many times you want to do that. So that's how people are doing this thing. What it's done, with it, which is great, is that it has given a newfound knowledge and understanding of the challenges, of the challenges of, of, of people, of, of women who are, who, are at, who, are, who are like disproportionately needing to do work at home. And it's been elevating a lot of men's mindsets around, hmm, time to start doing a little more sharing. And which is then back to our media point. In fact, I just, we're spending just time yesterday on talking about the whole notion of changing the norms around sharing work at home and doing the work at home. Because when we do that and that becomes the norm, then we won't have that situation you described, which is women leaving the workforce and hurting exactly what you described, the economic aspect of that. There is a massive force for growth associated with equality. When you have women in the workforce, that is increasing purchasing power. That is giving economic growth, and that's the business reason for us to do this, not to mention the societal reason. So we're all over this. This is going to have to be one of our projects is about it going forward on, uh, on Wake Up Call and Katie Couric Media. So I'm, I'm excited about this. In fact, I want to leap to that for a moment because I want to come to your own company because you made a choice to create your own company. You've, had, you've done so much and in your career. And then this next step was starting your own company, Katie Couric Media. And I just want to know, why'd you do that? What has it allowed you to do that you couldn't do before? Well, after 30, 30 well, gosh, ah, 40 <laughs> years in, in journalism, I thought it was time to start stop working for the man <laughs> and working for myself. And I really think the media landscape, as Mark and everyone probably here today realizes, has changed so dramatically. Mm -hmm. Just as brands are going direct to consumer, 
creators are going to direct to consumers and it's the the digital landscape is just busted wide open the possibility for people to create their own content mm -hmm. and to use their experience as storytellers to share and explain important issues and i just thought at this point in my life i had developed a, a reputation as a trusted source in an age where there's so much myths and disinformation out there. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to shine a light on issues I really cared about. Things like gender equality, things like environmental sustainability and, and, and global warming and climate change. Things like, like understanding race in America mm -hmm. and trying to encourage conversations that are sometimes tough. I did a whole hour on Confederate statues and iconography for mm -hmm. National Geographic a couple of years ago. And it was one of the most important projects I've done because I don't think people appreciated or understood. Again, this gets to the whole concept of unlearning mm -hmm. and cultural conditioning what some of these statues symbolized because we had become inured to them. Right. They were just part of the American landscape. I keep using the word landscape, but we just didn't understand that so many were erected at the height of Jim Crow mm -hmm. and as a defiant gesture toward, toward the federal government in abolishing slavery. And I grew up in Virginia. I was really never taught those things. But as soon as I explained that, to my, my contemporaries and people I knew who couldn't understand why they were so objectionable and suggested removing them was whitewashing mm -hmm. our, our history. And I explained, no, actually erecting them was whitewashing our history. They understood. Mm -hmm. And I have this opportunity to truly explain our history and explain some of these changing cultural ideas in a way that is really beneficial to to the culture. And that's why I'm so excited about talking about some of the things that are going on and helping educate people so they can really recalibrate their attitudes about some of these things that that society that we're finally reckoning with, whether it's within Me Too, whether it's talking about gay rights, whether mm -hmm. it's talking about, as I said, race and, and racial justice mm -hmm. and incarceration. There's so many big thorny issues and we're so divided on them. And some of them, some of it is just because of ignorance or the way we've been, again, culturally conditioned. Mm -hmm. So if I can help educate people and go to these uncomfortable conversations I feel like I'll be doing a real public service. So that's one of the things that I'm I'm interested in doing, especially in this environment of so much mis and disinformation. And what we you know what really attracted P and G to working with you is a conversation we had about this where you described that you wanted to explore all sides. You wanted to look at it from multiple views, not render a judgment on it but allow people to be able to make their own decisions on that basis. And that's very attractive to us. It's the, it's the media we want to be on, where it's well, not polarized. I think, you know, that we live in this era where everyone is so harsh and judgmental. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people just need 
to to not be lectured at, yeah. but to be heard and understood and you know respected for where they're coming from, and that that open-hearted, gracious conversation will move the ball forward so much faster than harsh condemnation. Mm-hmm. And and if you can try, it's pretty hard at times, Mark, but try to meet people halfway yeah. and and try to help them understand certain points of view that may go against how they, they've they been conditioned. Mm-hmm. And and also the current current media diets People are creating their own ecosystems where they're getting affirmation instead of information. Mm. They're getting confirmation bias. They're they they have engagement through enragement. Mm. This whole this whole media environment is actually working against making progress on many of these issues. So you have to fight against that because that is what gets clicks. They showed in these Facebook papers that they prioritize angry face emojis Mm. because they find that people stay on the platform more or get more emotionally. It's this intersection of psychology and technology. They get sucked into these conversations that that appeal to the worst in all of us. Mm -hmm. And so we have to fight against that somehow. And that's what I'm trying to do with our company. And that's the partners we're looking for. In fact, one of the things that's interesting about this media world is we're actually finding a range of partners with different types of content that are good for our brands, that our brands can show up in. It's a little bit like soap operas were back in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. The reason why we did that is because it created a context for our brands to show up where people actually paid attention to the, the, the brand benefits that we provided. We want that same thing now, and that's what we're seeking. So it's why we have partners like you who are willing to put an accurate view out there. And, and we have actually found, interestingly, back to the Dr. Banaji, when people see things that are familiar and accurate and they feel good about it, they actually feel very good about who's presenting that to them. And that's, that's again, good for business if we can do that. So. Well, they also lead to good for society too. And I know that's mm-hmm. something you care deeply about, mm-hmm. that there's evidence that consuming content with more diverse representation yep. can lead to more socially tolerant attitudes. And not to not to blow smoke, Mark, but that's one of the reasons I so admire what you've done at Procter & Gamble. And as trust in institutions and media declines, the Edelman Trust Barometer and the Business Roundtable shows that people are looking to companies yeah. to take leadership roles in helping move society forward when it comes to some of these really tricky social issues and, and, and helping to change hearts and minds that, that will help us be more unified and less polarized. So when you do storytelling like the talk, and you do things about implicit bias with the look, or you talk about gender equality, or we talk about marriage pressure, which I did a project with SK2 Mm. on the fact that women in many Asian countries are seen as leftovers or somehow incomplete if they're not married by a certain age. And so trying to unravel these expectations are so critically important through 
through storytelling that has an emotional connection to people that helps helps under helps us understand how these attitudes are formed and start breaking them apart is really the most important step to progress and that's why that's why for me Procter and Gamble is such a an important partner and that we're in lo- that we have been in lockstep about how we how we how we go about helping people understand the world and and opening up their hearts to the possibilities of looking at things differently that give opportunities for everyone not just one set of people in our society well we really appreciate those generous words and and unfortunately we are out of time we could probably go on for another half an hour easily if not an hour <laughs> but but i want to thank you katie for for taking the time out on your busy schedule to talk with us about some really great insights in terms of how we can think about diversity, equality, and inclusion, and doing good for the world while doing well. So thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your time. And we look forward to our next big project. Mark, just thank you so much for your support. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. That's it for this week. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Andrew Tarbin. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>